Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to, back to the Dadhood podcast. Today I have with me with me uh, brother Jalal or Abu Eid or Jalal Ibn Saeed or Jalal Muhammad or uh, there's uh, uh, many many names there that Jalal is known by. Um, and he has kindly agreed to come on and share his years and years of experience of being a father as well as his experience of being in the da'wah and balancing the two together. So welcome Jalal. Uh, Brother Shaib, uh, it's a pleasure to be uh, sharing a platform with you. I've watched you and your family go to Regent's Park, and it's <laughs> like a, a weekend trip. It's really therapeutic watching you and your family do things together. So I'm really grateful to be on the platform with you as well. Yeah, I mean, what I try and do on the platform is bring people who have more experience than me so I can learn from them. And then the viewers can learn from them as well, inshallah. Because like, like you said, uh, you probably would have seen that my kids are quite young. So that means, you know, I'm not an authority when it comes to parenting. I'm still learning. Uh, and I learn from those who are more experienced than me. But the platform's there so that young fathers do get a chance to learn as they're growing like I am, inshallah. So what we always ask our questions first, Jalan, is how uh, old were you when you became a father? Um, and uh, how many children do you have now as well? I completely forgot. You're going to ask me questions that might get me in trouble. <laughs> um, so what was the first question? How, how old, was old were you when you first became a father? Yes. Um, I think I was 26, 27. Yeah, I think I was about 26, 27. 28. 28. I was 28. Yeah, I was 28 when I became a father. And what was that like? Was that like a, um, something that you had planned? Like by the time I'm in my late 20s, I'm going to have a family and I'm going to build them up. Or was it was it kind of like, OK, suddenly let's just go for it. And we've got a child now. Alhamdulillah. I, I, I have a very strange. Um, I don't know how to I don't know how to put it in words, but um, I guess it wasn't a plan, but a plan formulated itself. Okay. I, 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 I started to study the deen and I was learning Islam. Before that, I used to study Christianity and other religions. I used to study many books. And then I eventually stumbled onto Islam, started studying it again, and started studying roots and history. This is in my late teens and early 20s. And then uh, the more practicing I got involved, the more passion into Islam I got, the more into debating I got. I think... <laughs> things started to formulate themselves. Like I remember, I remember making a decision. I'm going to have, uh, I'm going to, I always want a lot of kids. I remember yeah. that decision and it was after all of that. So it was after becoming, studying, learning the world, learning things. And then I remember a time in my life one day when I get married, inshallah, complete half my deen and, and build a family, I would want to do what Rasulullah wanted us to do, which was to expand his ummah. Not just make da'wah to the world, but raise your own Muslims as well. Not just invite others to a way of Allah, but have your own children and make them pious and righteous Muslims. So that just kind of formulated itself, I guess. That's the best way I can put it. Okay, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. That's amazing. Um, and uh, how do you feel becoming a father for the first time? Again, uh, everything in my life is not normal. <laughs> it, it just, everything had to be a little bit strange. So in this particular case, um, when I first had my first child, there was a lot going on in my life. 
uh, a lot of changes. I had made hijra. Um, I had, there's so much, I, I don't know how to say it without, uh, you know, saying too many personal things about right. myself, but life had changed. I could pretty much just imagine leaving Mecca, going to Medina. It just, you just lose everything. You start from scratch, even though you have everything, it's all still there. And it was a good year and a half before my firstborn was born. And in that year, in those three years, I think, three years before leading up to her uh, joining us in this world was a very, very challenging, body shaping, mind shaping, soul moving time of my life. And right. she was the first breath of fresh air. SubhanAllah. Do you feel like Allah gave you those tests to, to kind of follow up to that moment? And then your, your daughter was born or is that kind of like a, maybe that was your, your training ground to make you, I don't know, I guess, I guess be ready for this new, new entry into your life. That's interesting because it's like, we're going from here to here and you're saying from here to here, was I being prepared for it to when she was born? I, I feel like I was started here in my late teens and early twenties and my goal is here somewhere. And she was born here somewhere. Mashallah. And I, I think that I think that what we're being shaped for is like, I'll give you an example. This is my favorite example that some of the Shiyukh used to teach us. It's like the sword. Everyone loves the sword. It's a it's a, it's a very bad thing because it sheds blood. It's an it's something people would hate, but at the same time, it's a it's a very honorable thing because it defends, it protects, it has yeah. isma. So the sword, for example, it's iron ore, it's taken out of the mountain as rock and stone, it's heated, it's melted, it's abused, it's, it's thrown into a pot, it's thrown into a mold, it's then cooled and iced and then hammered and then heated up and hammered and then cooled and iced and then heated up and hammered and beaten. And then each time it's iced, each time it's heated, it's painful. And each time it's pounded on, it's painful. It's a consistent pain. And you're forged into this incredible shining sword. And I think that when you're going through that process, along the way, you get a moment between having this or that, and you get a breather before it being pounded on again, or before being heated again, or before being cooled again, in between you get breaks. And that's kind of what I meant, that in this time of being forged, all of us are being forged. Every Muslim is being forged. And, and you're either fighting against it or you're embracing it. And, and that forging, in that time, you get after every difficulty will come ease. And to me, she was an ease. And when she was born, it was a moment of fresh fresh air it was a break it was relief and to many people not just to me to any relative she has her grandparents on one side grandparents on that side my grandmother who I was very close to passed away just six months after she was born so she got to see her just to give you an example so there's or it's just a lot there's a lot there there's a lot there that happened and I think she was a a, a, a huge a huge blessing a ni'ama from Allah Azawajal. that was my firstborn Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, it's amazing. So <laughs> since then, uh, you've had uh, multiple children. Uh, so what, what is the, the range now in terms of their, their ages, the age gaps, and you know how many children are you, are you looking at <laughs> uh, really under your wing? 
Yeah, it's not. I didn't intend on having loads and loads of children. I would like to. I would. I would love to have a hundred kids, but no. You know, it's not about quantity. It's about quality. It's about how you raise these kids and what they are like. What kind of people are they? Yeah. Um. Uh, but everyone would love. Everyone who loves children would love lots. But my, in my case, my range is my youngest is seven, and my eldest is twenty-one. So it's an interesting range. And in between, Mashallah. you've got you've got you've got nine you've got 13 you've got 15 16 you've got 19 so it's just a roller coaster of emotional situations and guidance happening so you got kids at all ages and, and alhamdulillah i have to say it's it's a it's a it's a blast all the time it's there's never a boring moment in the muhabbat household i will say that <laughs> There's never a dull moment in the Muhabbat household, but uh, same time, yeah, they they have their difficulties, they have their challenges, they have their moments. They're crying on daddy's shoulder. They have that. It's 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 a it's a very I I never want to say normal household because I don't know what normal is, but I will definitely say it's uh it's healthy. Alhamdulillah, very healthy. Alhamdulillah, that's amazing. And I think I I want to go into how you handle your parenting across different ages because i can imagine you know you have to turn your attention to the youngest one and treat them a certain way and then your oldest ones uh you have to give them a different type of attention or a different type of parenting of um, and so you know within one day you're kind of wearing multiple different hats and you're being stretched in different ways um so how do you let's say number one how do you give enough quality time to each of your children in the way that they want it? I, that's a really good question. And I think one of, for me, I think everybody's different, uh, but for me, I don't like to plan things. Um, to me, quality is being here and now. And, and when you're planning things and things don't go the right way or thing, you, you spend a lot of time making sure it goes according to plan. And while that effort is made, you spend that time making sure everything's scheduled and everything's going a certain way, or even if it's a long-term plan over a few weeks, whatever. I find that those things really do take a lot out of you and put a lot of unnecessary pressure on your child. So with my children, I'm quite, uh, uh, um, how can I put this? I'm quite, I'm quite relaxed and I focus on the now. So what is it now? So it's like most parents, you know, you hear the kids come in crying. You're like, what now? <laughs> so, so it's uh, it's very much like, what now? And uh, I like to be there and here and now. I like to address things here and now. What's happening now? And uh, just yesterday, I was sitting with my eldest boy in the car. And um, I asked him, I said, what do, you want, what do you think about the future? I mean, we rarely speak about it. What do you think about the future before you reach a point where you can't focus on the future? Like me, for example, when you're a dad of our age, you just have to focus on now, the bills, the best you can do. You're not going to be given room to, to, to imagine things. Uh, I said, but right now you have that room, so don't limit yourself. And he talked about things about you know, splitting hydrogen and talking about, you know, a hydrogen factory and, and bringing the hydrogen energies. And I was blown away. I was like, yeah, that's, that's, that, that means I did my job. Oh, I mean, I've done my job. I've got a kid who I've given him the room, the space, the capacity to let his imagination wander. 
And to think things like that, he didn't give me a, a boring mundane answer about I'm going to get a degree and then I'm going to get a job and then I'm going to, you know, <laughs> everyone's doing that. What else are you going to do? What's different? So his first immediate answer was, uh, I want to work on hydrogen energy, um, self-sustainable energy, things like that. And I was like, fantastic. That's wonderful. And, and so really, I think it's about the here and now. It's about what do they need now? What's going on now in their life? So focus, dads need to focus on the right now. And the problem is uh, women, for example, they have a fitna, they have a challenge of Instagram faces, right? Or, or social media challenges or makeup, cosmopolitan, whatever the heck, you know, all that nonsense. So women are really challenged. My sisters are very, very tested. So brothers are not so different. Brothers are not so different. So brothers, dads, sit there looking at other dads too much. Mm. And this is a problem. You spend a lot of time thinking about, look at him though, but look at him though, my neighbors, over, you know, so-and-so drives that, so-and-so right. lives here. And they're so busy looking at other dads that they miss, this is your child here and now. And I think my only regret is always going to be the regret of Jannah. Did you know Jannah has a regret? I'll tell you later, if you guys don't know, anyone in the chats, if they want to ask, I'll happily tell you, but there is Jannah, paradise is a place of bliss. There is no negativity, zero, but there is a regret. And that's quite shocking considering Jannah's, Jannah is a place no one will feel anything negative. But Well, tell us the regret. Well, I want to tell you dad's regret first because it relates to Jannah's regret. Dad's regret is where was I when she was three? Mm. Where was I when he was 15? Where was I when he did that exam? Where was I when she got hurt because of that, etc.? Those are the regrets you have, not being there. So that's shaitan in this life, causing dads to slip. And, and, and then you get so caught up in those regrets that you don't catch up on the here and now. They're still here. They, just like uh, she's 15. Where did the time go? Where did that baby who was three months old go, etc.? Yes, but when she's 30, you're going to say she was only 15. Where did that time of 15 years old go, etc.? So don't miss it now. So whenever you have that moment of regret, make sure you're doing something about it here. And now the regret of Jannah is that People in paradise will enjoy anything and everything, whatever the heart wishes, whatever the heart wishes, it will have. But there will be times in Jannah, you will sit there and remember times on earth and you will think about one hour, an entire hour on earth you spent and you did not mention Allah in it even once. That hour on earth, you will regret even though you're in paradise, you will sense that regret. So to me, it's that, that type of regret that you're like, why did I miss out? So take that knowledge that you want to remember Allah every step of the way. So remember your children every step of the way. So you don't regret when they're older and you're like, I missed that age, that time. Every time has it, I can tell you this now that when they're one year old, one to two, one to three, that is a special time and you will regret missing any of it. And then from three to five, three to seven is a special time. 
and you will regret missing any of it. And then seven to nine and nine to 12 and 12 to 15. And each age section of a child's life, your child's life, is has very, very special moments in there that you want to be a part of as a father. You want to be part of that. You don't want to miss it out. You don't want to miss out on that. And that is a massive regret that can really take a father to darkness unless they're careful. Allahu Akbar. May Allah protect us from that and make us into the most righteous fathers. So on that, um, I mean, some of the reasons why fathers will have the regret because they are busy with other responsibilities that they may have. Now, you are involved in uh, various different types of Dawah projects over the years. You know, I've, I've seen you over the years get involved in certain things. You're still carrying on some of those things. Some of those things maybe you're not involved in anymore. Maybe you've introduced new types of projects into your life as well. So I'm sure those uh, types of projects that you're involved in, children over there being born, uh, as, as you're doing those types of things, more children coming into your life, you now having a big responsibility as a father and also a responsibility towards the Ummah when it comes to Dawah. So how would you advise those who are involved in having multiple responsibilities can still make sure that they are they are involved in their children's lives at those various stages that you're mentioning to me since i embraced the dean and wanted paradise and wanted success with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to me the dawah comes first the dawah always comes first and I'll never forget that there was a brother who was in hardship with his family, with his wife, and uh, um, someone wise was advising him, and I was listening, and he said to him that it's not you who raises your children, it's Allah. You're just facilitating things. Allah raised you. Your parents didn't raise you. Your parents did the best they could, but they weren't there when you were asleep. It was Allah who preserved your health and your life. They weren't there when you were out on the streets. Allah protected you and guided you and introduced you to the right people and so on and so forth. Allah raises the children. And that is the best person, the best being to raise us. So to a massive degree, that's why we put tawakkal in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah tawakkal So when I say that, when it comes to our children, we are honored to be part of that guidance, just like our parents were blessed to be part of ours. So when your child is growing up and you are engaged in dawah or you're engaged in work uh, or you're engaged in your business, whatever, it's not about, you don't wanna dwell upon what you're missing. Instead, when you arrive, you wanna focus on you're there, here and now. It's about quality. It's not about quantity. It really isn't. Look back to the Sahaba, for example. They'd be away for six months, eight months, a year in jihad. Uh, look at the story of Suhail and Farooq. You can look it up on YouTube. I've told this beautiful story from the time of, uh, uh, I believe it was the Caliphate of Uthman, around that time. And you, these were one. this was one of the uh, uh, stories where you just got to listen to the lecture, the reminder of Suhail and Farooq. And this guy was gone for 30 years. So it just depends. And there are, there's quality there. And his son was one of the great seven lajna of Madinat al-Manawwara. 
Sheikh Abdul Rahman was one of the teachers of Imam Malik, the likes of Imam Malik. So you've got to realize quality. It wasn't just the husband, it was the wife. You know, the story was beautiful. I'm just going to tell you a bit of it, but here's the part of the story. The man leaves for jihad and he just got married three months ago. And the Iman was there, the Dawah was there. And when the call Hayal al Jihad came, the Adhan, she knew. She knew what his passion was, and he was going to get weak because your fitna is your wife and your children. And she was uh, pushing him, get out, get out, go. This is what you want to do, go. And she was, uh, she was uh, encouraging it. But inside, come on, sisters, you got to know that that's your brand new groom. You don't want him to leave. You're dying inside. You don't want him to go, but you know the right thing. And he's like, I know she doesn't want me to go, but if I show weakness, then she will get weak. So no, yes, of course I should go. And they're both egging each other on, knowing inside they're both dying to say, no, let's not do this. And he leaves. And as he's leaving, he gives her 3,000 dirhams. And he says, this will carry you for three months. I'll be back three to six months. Make this last for three months. I'll be back. The treasure chest for the family, the bank account, it was at home. And he said, don't touch that till I'm back. She said, okay. Three months go, six months go. She stretched it. She was careful. She was careful. She stretched it. And she was very careful, very wise. What if, you know, anything can happen. What if he doesn't come back? And she stretched it. Six months. Came back. Groups came back. No sign of her husband photo. Nine months. No sign. In that time, her belly grew. Mm. He doesn't even know. SubhanAllah. And, and, and she's waiting. She's waiting. She wants to share these special moments. The announcement. She wants to share this time, the growth of their future in her belly. No one to share it with. 12 months go by, baby's born, and she stretched that money. 18 months go by, people keep coming, people keep coming, and no sign of photo. Almost two years go by. And then finally someone came to her. And remember, I hate to say this. I don't want to doubt anyone. But those people really loved each other. The community really loved each other. So everyone in the town used to cry seeing her. Where's her husband? They felt that pain. So there must have been some sadness where a soldier just walked up to her and said, I saw Farouk, he fell. Mm. And I don't know if that was true or he thought he saw it or whatever. But he wanted to end her suffering. And so now she goes home and she opens the chest. She's made that 3,000, which is hardly anything for a few months. She stretched it two years. She, she kept his amana intact. She opened it. Inside was 2 million dinars. Subhanallah. This guy had had so or 30,000 oh sorry I'm doing my math wrong it's equivalent to something like 10 million pounds today no it was 30,000 dinars or something like that the amount numbers I've still got written down I did the math it was millions of pounds today equivalent in gold dinars and she had this money that she was now going to touch and when she touched it imagine sisters today imagine a husband goes away and says this is the money don't touch the savings Three months later, come on. It's going to be like, oh, no, he's not here. What can I do? Yeah. Six months later, he's got kids, he's got life, we got to buy stuff. 
they move on. But she waited two years and then she dabbled into it. And the only reason she touched it was she wanted to educate and raise Farooq's future, his son. And she spent that money on the best scholars, the best teachers that money could buy. And she sat there telling him stories upon stories about what an amazing father he had. Mm. And this shaped the future of this young man. So just to give us some, 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 some context here. SubhanAllah, this, this is the man who, when he grew up, and Farooq one day wakes up 30 years later on the borders of China, and his life's changed. He's older now, and he's like, I wonder if I still have a wife. I wonder if she remarried. Is she alive? Is she well? I can't take this anymore. I'm just not becoming Shaheed. I'm just not dying. I need to just go home now. And he gets on his horse, and he's riding, and he's riding, and he's riding, and his heart is pounding, and he's going across China. He's coming through Iran. He's coming through Iraq, and he's just riding, and it's just his heart, his mind is looking at the sky. It's getting worse. He arrives in the city of Medina to Manawara. When he arrives in the city of Manawara, he has been 30 years. Wow. And everything's different. The masjid has expanded. So what's the first thing he does? Uh, Shuaib, what would you do? You arrive after 30 years. What would you do? What's the first thing he does? Go and find my family. Absolutely. Every one of us. But this is the man who was righteous and pious. And that woman was a pious, righteous woman. They pushed each other. So what does he do? He remembers the sunnah of Rasulullah when you return from a journey from into your city, you must do what? You must go to your masjid and pray Turaka. Mm. You cannot go home. Who does that today? Go to Birmingham, go to Manchester, go wherever, come straight home. Yeah. Who says, no, I need to go to the masjid first. Mm. And many times they'd be close to home at night and they would camp out. They'd say, no, everyone's asleep. Don't disturb them. They'd camp out and come in the morning. So they would pray Fajr in the masjid. Hmm. where is that today and when we go on journeys when we come home do we go to our masjid so he went to the masjid and he arrives in the masjid and he just sees what in the world scholars everywhere knowledge everywhere beautiful things everywhere and he is blown away by it um anyway so he's just blown away by it and he sees this one particular man incredible everyone's gathered around this scholar this is what this was the time the golden era of knowledge of ilm this was the golden era where everyone wanted knowledge uh, quran hadith hifz usul sciences cures for cancer this was the era where he was born and uh so now he's prayed his Tudakai, Salat al-Asr, he wait, waits for that, he sees this young man, he joins the halaqat, he listens, he's amazed by the knowledge of these youth. And then he goes home, and now he's coming towards his house, and his heart is pounding, pounding, pounding. And as he comes home, is she alive? She's not. But when he sees his house, his eyes, oh no, oh no, exactly what any man feared. Another man's going inside. Oh. <laughs> now, Farooq is just... Uh, but he is a mujahid. He is honorable. He grabs this man by his neck and says, don't you go into my house. This is my house. 
this is my house. And they start fighting. The man says, no, this is my house. And they start physically fighting. And all of the nearby neighbors in town comes and grabs Farouk and says, get away, you crazy old man. We know him. This is his house. And someone inside, there's an old woman inside. She hears shouting outside. She recognizes the voice and she thinks it can't be. It can't be. And she comes running out and she sees the two men fighting and she recognizes it's Farooq, this is Suhaila. She shouts out, everyone back off. This is my husband Farooq. He's been away for 30 years in jihad, he's returned. Everyone wept. And amongst them was young Imam Malik. Everyone wept and everyone walked away. And they left these two to console. And he embraced Suhaila. They ran inside. They're laughing. They're crying. And he just, 30 years, man. And she's like to him, Farooq, I've gotten old. I've, I've aged. It's been a long time. They only knew each other for three months. I've aged. And he said to her, oh, Suhaila, you are more beautiful now than I've ever known you. MashaAllah. Such a response. You are more beautiful now than I've ever seen you. And they speak and they laugh and they cry and they share stories. And now Farouk comes to that. So, Suhaila, you've, <laughs> you've managed, you know, you've managed, you've managed well. There was a chest of some money I left here. And she said, ah, yeah, about that. Hmm. Okay, so um, I love this part. And I'm, I'm, I'm quoting it as it's narrated. I love this part. Listen to the way the story is narrated. Sahela says, yeah, about that money. Before we get to that, you arrived in the city today. Yes. You obviously went to the masjid. I love that. I love that. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> Expecting each other to be pious. The sunnah. You must have gone to the masjid. He says, yes, of course. Of course I went to the masjid. What did you see there? Now look. If he had lied, he'd be caught out here. She's like, what did you see there? I said, oh my God, Sahelo, it's changed. The knowledge, the wisdom, the way people are speaking, the usul, the sciences. Oh, I was blown away. She goes, really? There must have been something specific that blew you away more than others. He's like, yeah, there was this one young scholar. Everyone gathered around him. And I have to, I can see why. When I gathered around him, I thought, what an amazing speaker. What an incredibly knowledgeable alim. And he, he, she said, who was it? He said, his name was Sheikh Abdurrahman. And she said, really, did you, did you like him? He said, yes. <coughs> Would you give that gold in your bucket? Would you give that so you could be like him, knowledgeable like him? This is a mujahid who gave 30 years of his life to jihad. He would, now listen, Isma, my brothers and sisters, listen, this is a mujahid who did the deed. He did it for 30 years and he came back and she's like, would you trade all that and all your money to be a person of knowledge? And his response after living the deed, yes, and much more, and much more. I would much rather have done that than that. That's a person who knows better than you and me. Subhanallah. Why did he say that? And many people say, but that's the peak of Iman. Is jihad fi sabilillah. That's the peak of Iman. 
And I say to them, yes, it is. Why is that the peak of Iman? What is the peak of Jihad? It is to be able to call people to La ilaha illallah. It is to be able to do da'wah. Jihad is not about gaining land or uh, uh, gaining wealth. Jihad is about establishing the word of Allah Azza wa Jal. And if someone fights you, you fight back. If they don't fight you, you don't fight. It's da'wah. And here is person seeking knowledge. So she said, is that what you want? I said, yes, I'd love that. What if that was your son? That man? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, oh my God, I would give even more because then I get my 30 years and I get my service and I get a son. And then I get a son who happens to be that guy. She said, I would love that even more. And she, Suhaila said, that is your son. And I used that money to educate him. I used that money to raise him. And that is what's the outcome of that. And Farooq went berserk. He goes outside screaming, laughing. He runs out the house. He goes crazy. And he's like, oh my God, I am Farooq. And my son is Sheikh Abdurrahman. And he's shouting and he's shouting. And everyone is seeing the neighborhood is looking and laughing. And everyone's wiping tears. And they're like, look, and he's proud of his son. And, the, and he calls for his son. And his son, Sheikh Abdurrahman, arrives. And it's that young man he got into a fight with earlier. <laughs> yeah, that I was that. I that, that was his son. <laughs> that was his son walking into his house, and they embraced and they hugged, and everyone wept, and the city wept with them. This is one of the stories of, of fatherhood, and I have to say that it's not about quantity; it's about quality. Alhamdulillah, Sheikh Jalal, Zakhlah Khair for that. What we're going to do is we're going to take a short break. Okay. And uh, I'm going to sort out some technical things and we're going to come back and carry on and get okay. some more gems off of you, inshallah. Inshallah. Look forward to it. All right, we're back from our break. And uh, Jalal was just uh, telling us about this amazing story between um, uh, Farooq and, what was her name? Suhaila? Suhaila and Farooq, yes. Yes, mashallah. A very beautiful, romantic story. And what I took from that was of course, this was this desire for this husband and this wife to be together, to have a relationship. Um, but what was underpinning their relationship was their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what was underpinning uh, uh, all of that was their focus to be pious, their focus to, uh, uh, to, to put the da'wah first. Their focus on even in terms of raising their children, it was all for the sake of scholarship, of knowledge, of spreading the deen. So even though they want to be the best mother and father, they want to be the best husband and wife, all of that underpinning that was uh, uh, looking towards Allah and prioritizing the deen in everything. So that's what I learned from it, to be honest. Um, the, any, standard, any the standard they set, the standard they set for their children. Hmm. What, what did they want for their child? I mean, what did Sahela want? It's not like she had many kids. It's not like she had, uh, you know, look, how much did Sahela spend on her child's Islamic education? And that's something, that's, yeah. that's something to take into consideration when you are raising your children and you want to take your kids to Islamic private school. Uh, I take my kids to an Islamic school and their prices went up recently. And yeah. And, and obviously, I know that there's going to be people complaining. And I'm like, well, what, what is your child's Islamic education valued? How do you mm. value it? What is your standard? And that's what I felt Sahel and Farooq did. They, for me, they set a standard. 
that there is no price on how much we should be willing to spend on our sons and daughters' education. Uh, and most people would be willing to spend a lot of money to get their kids into Oxford or Harvard or something like that. But the knowledge of the dean and the dawa, you, you know, you spend darling eggs on it. It's that kind of thing. <laughs> So I don't know how else to put that, except that back in your own countries, wherever you're from, if you're from Pakistan, you know how you treat your mulvis and your mullahs. You know, that's the words they use. And in those Asian countries, and then wherever you're from, you treat the people of knowledge, Islamic knowledge, less than. Well, that's because your iman is less than. I'm, I'm no longer offended by it on behalf of Islam. Instead, I'm an IT professional. I'm a very successful businessman, etc. Alhamdulillah, by my standard, by my father's standards. I like to say my father's standards, actually. <laughs> and, uh, and even though that's the case, I wouldn't take any pride in it. My pride's in the Islamic etiquette, the Islamic knowledge. So what I, when I find people value Islam less, those are the people who are going to have children that are... That that are having issues, marital problems, divorce issues, uh, uh, lewdness, uh, lack of self-respect, self-esteem, the uh, drug problems. Where do you get this information from? Uh, who do you think they call when that happens? They call Imam Saib and they say, well, I've talked to everyone. Can you help make a dua to do chuf chuf on my son to fix him? And there's no such chuf chuf to do. It's Islamic knowledge. It's what did you do from their early age? How did you raise them? Where yeah. did you spend your money? Where did you spend your time? And there are some very good cultural Muslims, not religious Muslims, cultural Muslims, very decent people that spend money on their Islamic education, but they themselves don't know much. And they also call Imam Saib when the, I, I spend money on them and my son is such a jahil, blah, blah. You know, the kids look at the parents first before yeah. education. What, yeah. what do you, what is the standard of your Islam? Mm. You don't, Farooq was not an alim. Farooq did not know that much. He was a mujahid. Mm. Farooq was a person of honor and dignity. And that's why his son could aim high. Mm. It's what kind of Muslim are you? It's not about how much knowledge you have. How much love do you have of Allah and His Rasul? How much love do you have of the Quran in your house? Is it Bollywood TV shows and Hollywood TV shows playing? Or is it Quran and Sunnah being recited and discussed? What does your family like doing in their free and entertainment hours? That yes. is how you measure your family. Mm. So let's come, let's really back a bit. I think it's the standards, Brother Shaib. What are our standards? And that's how mm. you can decide. What are we talking about? What, mm. what standards are we discussing? Mm. SubhanAllah. Yeah, that's so, so true. So um, what would you say are some of the ways in which parents can then instill that love of Islam into their children? So if that's the standard that we want to reach with our family, that's what, how we want to measure success as a family, as fathers. Uh, what can we do to help facilitate those things in our households? Um, I'm going to say two people in my life are the inspiration. One is my wife and the other one's my father. And I'm going to start with my father because he was there long before her. My father was an inspiration because he's one of those people that is very spiritual 
and loves Allah so much and he and loves Rasulullah more than he loves himself and he would constantly tell the children constantly say how loving and merciful Allah is he didn't do the whole Allah's gonna get you you know <laughs> don't be bad because Allah is gonna get you you know the whole Allah is gonna punish you Allah's gonna punish you that kind of thing my dad was the exact opposite. My father was extremely uh, all about mercy and Allah's rahmah, you know, that, that kind of thing. I mean, it's the, you know, there's times when, uh, there's times when, you know, the story of the man who lost his camel and when he found it, he said, oh Allah, you are my slave and I am your, I am your master. Well, you know, so it was words of kufr, but he didn't mean anything like that. I can, I can relate that man to my father. I yeah. mean, sometimes you'll write poetry and you're like, dad, you can't say that. <laughs> you know, you can't say, he's like, oh, but I love Allah so much. I go, okay, but just kind of, kind of wheel it back a bit. Wheel it back. And he's very, very uh, open-minded. He'll listen. But some of his philosophical messages are like, wow, way out there. It's like, we don't know. He's like, you don't know. I was like, I don't know, but wheel back a bit. Be careful. And so you have that unlimited amounts of love and affection from Allah. And my wife, I think, is the, in the, in this sense, I'm going to give more credit to my wife when it comes to raising children. Obviously, our mothers are the best. And my wife is the best. Because when it comes to the mother, um, the ummah is from the mother. The ummah is from the mother. I can be Sheikh Jalal, whatever you want to call me. It really doesn't matter. I am just daddy. <laughs> Ultimately, it's what mom says. Whatever you do, I don't care. It's what mom says. So my wife is very much in love with Allah, very much in love with the deen, very much in love with the Quran. So the standard is set very high for the kids. So how do you instill it in them? You don't. You don't instill the love of Quran and the love of Allah and the love of the Sunnah and the love of deen. You don't instill it in them. You show them. Mm. You show them your love. Where yes. is your love? Yeah. So my wife is like, you haven't impressed me unless you impressed Allah. Oh, Allah's not going to like that very much. So don't talk to me. Oh, but you're my mommy. If Allah throws you in hell, who am I? Obviously, that's not what she says. I'm just giving yeah. an example, <laughs> a very harsh example. So I think there is that whole, let me, like I, like the example I gave of the family before, the, the family who is cultural, they'll spend money on the hifz and the Quran, but they don't do it themselves. You have to love it yourself. You don't have to be more learned than your children. You don't have to be smarter. Our previous generation dads had this curse upon them, this horrible curse where they felt they had to be the smartest man in the room. Yeah. This ego is so stupid. And this curse was upon that previous two, two three generations. And any room, any son, anyone said anything, the dad would lose the his mind. He'd lose his plot. Why? Because... How could you? I know better. It's like, it's not about that. Yeah. You are yeah. still the great man you are, even if I knew more than you. Mm. And that's the kind of dad I had. And I'm really great. No, I'm sorry. The kind, my dad was the kind that he was happy for me to know more than him. He was happy if I learned more than him. But I've never, ever thought I even compared to a toenail of my father in front of Allah, considering who he is and mujahid in the sight of Allah. So it's about your standards yourself for you. So if you want to instill something good to, for your kids, you need to do it yourself first. It has to be in you and they need to see it. Kids will do what their parents do. 
If yeah. you're on your devices night and day, that's what they're going to do. Yeah. If you're gossiping, that's what they're going to do. Mm. If you're watching TV shows all the time, dramas, that's what they will do. And you can tell them to do something else. No, I paid for his Quran. I sent him to Madrasa. I sent her to this and that. Yes, they will go. And along the way, when they leave you, they will just be like, and the mind is somewhere else. They went for nothing. You wasted your money. They didn't listen. They didn't learn. They're busy on something else. They'll find a way. They, we found a way. I remember being a teenager. We found a way. If we wanted to do something, we found a way. We skipped school. We ran away from class. We did whatever we wanted to do. I'll never forget that. My kids are much smarter than me. So if I could do that back then, they could do far yeah. more than me today. Of course, yeah. So it can't be expecting. It can't be do as I say, don't do as I do. Yeah, you have to have to role model it. It's so true, subhanAllah. Um, and and even even I mean, I, I've got young children. I've you know, my 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 son is what three and a half, my daughter is two, and I, I can already see it, you know, where if you role model certain things, they'll just take it on. But if you tell them they need to do this, they need to do that, this it's not always the case that they're going to be listening. Um and uh and 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 I, i've already noticed this with myself by the way i think your mm, zoom absolutely. uh uh video feed is frozen but your sound is coming through so don't worry too much about it um and uh inshallah it will it will fix itself in a, in a second um so that sort of takes me to my next question which is um how do you deal with sort of you know, I, I'm trying to learn this for, for future self because my children are too young at the moment. But, you know, as they get older, they have their own likes, their own dislikes. How do you sort of make sure that that vision that you have for your children is that, you yes. know, they're, they're still falling in line with it? Or, you know, if, they're, if their dislikes and likes are sort of putting them in, in danger, especially danger with their iman, but maybe danger just generally in their life, how do you kind of sort of reel them back in? I find that, I find that you can tackle this. There is no right or wrong way to tackle this, unfortunately. And I do say unfortunately, because we want to know the right and wrong way so we can do it the right way. But there just isn't a wrong or right way. You, you each, it's so volatile. It's so different each individual case. It's impossible to have a set of rules and say, if you follow this, everything will work out. It just doesn't work. So um, you have a few options. You first try to tell them, Second, try to show them examples. Third, expose yourself, maybe. Things you've done when you were younger. And if none of that works, or if you don't want to do any of that, you got to we'll let them walk through the cycle and guide them along the way. And do not disown them. Do not dishearten them. Do not make them feel less than you. Because believe me, when they fall and hit flat on their face and they realize the shaitan's going to have a field day with them, breaking their morale, self-confidence, self-worth. This is where you need to come back and say, Allah loves you. Allah will forgive you. I'm your mom. I'm your dad. Of course, I forgive you, etc." So I think it's a bit of a circle journey. So you, if, you're, if you're really blessed and you have a child willing to listen to your advice, fantastic. I mean, that's one in a million. And, uh, and if they're adventurists, then they're going to take their desires a step forward. And if they're explorers, which is what we want, then they're going to go the full circle, whether you tell them or not. They need to know themselves. They're not going to take your word for it. And that's not a bad thing. 
that's not a bad thing. Automatically, parents think that's such a rebellious yeah. child. That's yeah. a disobedient child. No, no, no. This, uh, their nature is different. Some children in their nature are will we'll fall in line we'll do as you say we do as you say we do as you say and they're the best in school they're the best at jobs they do what they're told and they die not really making an impact on the earth mm. and then you have people then you have these people who are quite rebellious you might many people would call them rebellious but really they're explorers i like to mm. call them explorers their desires are mixed with their fitra their fitra is confused by the confusing knowledge and part of that is mom and dad the mixed messages <laughs> from mom and dad, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, do this, do this, do this. And then they see mom and dad on the weekend gossiping away and doing other things. You're like, mm -hmm. whether the kid says anything or not, they picked up on all that. Their receivers are in the house all the time. And, and, and so the kids go through that. So I can say about my own kids, I've got a mixture of them. I've got some mm. kids that do exactly as they're told. And I've got one or two of my kids that are explorers. And I've learned the painful hard way, but I actually embrace both. And it just depends on where they get with their lives. If they can come out the other end, successful, learning, growing, fantastic. It was a, it was a lesson that I, it's just like going to a school and paying for a lesson. And the money you paid was something painful. It wasn't money, it was something else. And that's all there is to it. So I teach my kids. I go out of my way to tell them, did you learn? Yes, I did. Mm. Well, do you remember the negatives? You upset your mom. You upset your dad. This happened there. You heard so-and-so. You did this. Yes, right. That's the price you pay. Mm. So you're going to have to answer to that when you meet Allah. You're going to have to You're gonna have to pay for that or repent for that. You're going to have to do something. But that is the price you pay for this lesson. So this lesson is very expensive. So don't lose it. Don't throw it away. Keep this lesson in your mind so that you can make your next better decision. So it just depends, really. I think I think if a kid starts to stray, it's not always automatically they're straying. They have their own journey they're going to oh. have to make. They are their own person. Just because they went a different route from what you hoped does not mean they have gone astray in their lost cause. They're going on their own journey. And it's oh. different to yours. And being different is scary and it's nervous, I know. But it's great. Because if you just have a child repeat your life, what was the point? <laughs> That's a really <laughs> good I, point. If one, of my kids, if one of my kids repeats my life, I mean, no, man. No, I don't want that. I want them to go above and beyond. My kid was telling me yesterday he wants to work on renewable energy. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. I never <laughs> thought about that. I never thought about doing that. So yeah, alhamdulillah. I think that's an amazing way of looking at it. You know, there's there's some kids that are just gonna sort of they'll fall in line and that's their personality. There's other kids that are explorers, and I I like the word that use explorers because it takes away the whole sort of um negative aspect of well, they're not listening right now and and you know they're they're, they're rebellious, you know, rather than calling them rebellious, actually they're exploring, they're getting to understand themselves more, they're getting to understand their world more, understand relationships more. And it's just taking them a little bit more time than the others to come around the other end and see things in, in that light. And like you said, even at the end of it, even if they don't end up doing the thing that you really hope them to do, as long as they come out on the other side having learned, having grown and being good uh, people with good morals, successful people, then really that's that's what matters, and that's what a mother and father want to see, um, and 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 that's what you want to come to Allah with. That look, I raised these children, and they ended up actually being good, successful people, even if they didn't meet all the parameters that you had set in your mind for what a successful child is. 
I think that takes off a lot of pressure from the parents to view it in that way. That's that's excellent, alhamdulillah. Um, I wanted to uh, ask you, if you don't mind, about something slightly different, which is um, you've, <laughs> I can see your, your eyes wondering, what am I going to bring in now? Um, <laughs> I, what I wanted to ask was, it's still related to fatherhood, but more so in terms of the various projects that you've been involved in over the years, you know, One Eid, etc. Uh, would you say that your children have had an impact in how you go about uh, sort of uh, conducting those projects or how you may uh, uh, change them or, or adjust them according to uh, your relationship with your children. You know, for example, when you're doing an Eid event, are you thinking, would my children enjoy this? Therefore, would other children enjoy this? Or any other project, you're, you're giving da'wah, you know, you know, me as a father, would I want to hear this type of message? And therefore, you're kind of curating experiences around that. Do you think Basically, your fatherhood has an influence in the other projects that you're doing. Um, absolutely. Um, initially, Al-Fitra was born in the late 90s, early 2000s. And the purpose was to protect me. Mm. The dawah was to protect me. I believed in having a bat cave. I believed in having a place where people met and like a think tank to tackle Ghazwat al-Fikri, the ideological warfare that's going on. And uh, how do we be, how do we survive it? And then how do we help others? And while I was protecting myself by surrounding myself with righteous, good people, by doing the dawah, by being engaged in the dawah, then I started to have children and the children started to grow up. Yeah. Do, did they affect my dawah? Absolutely. Mm. In fact, One Eat is just one project. I've been involved in many things yeah. from the launch of... Uh, from the early days launch of Islam Channel, the GPU event, to the big events in the parks, the big event at the Excel centers, the uh, the method of TV appeals, the charities fundraising, all that. I mean, subhanAllah, we're, I was with the pioneers. We built all of this. And then, and, and alhamdulillah, may Allah accept it from everyone involved. The dawah was the courses, the universities, the lectures. I mean, later we 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 built the foundation, the pathway for things like Al Maghrib and Al Kothar to be mm. born. I mean, without the pioneers, none of this would have been possible. A lot of it wouldn't have been possible without the volunteers, without the manpower, the people who were made to believe that this mm. is the way forward. There was a drive. So when the kids came along and they started to grow up, yeah, this changed. This was impacted heavily. I mean, Wanid was just one of the projects. So since you mentioned Wanid, I'll just tell you, Wanid exists because of my kids. MashaAllah. So when you mm. say, do they have influence? Absolutely. Mm. Now my kids, uh, we have multiple parks and my kids run some of them. They're very intelligent. They're very involved from the beginning. I didn't just do things and tell them. I showed them. I shared. So they grew up in it. Uh, my son was doing health and safety support and electric cabling and audio and visual at the age of 11. And now he's 19 and he manages the entirety of it. So it's just, it's just, it's just, you give, you empower them. You let them do this with you. You don't do it for them. You do mm. it with them so that they can learn also. But yeah, absolutely. The whole one Eat event is designed about how each should have been. So my kids don't miss out. When I was a kid, July 4th, fireworks. Yeah. I remember that feeling. Mm. The fireworks told me, well, as a kid, 
I see fireworks in the sky. I see cars parked and everywhere in the streets. These are things that are normally not legal. These are illegal things normally. Yeah. So someone got permission to launch fireworks and someone got permission to block off streets. That means the government's involved. That means the government okays it. That means mm. the government, not these words. I didn't even know this language when I was a kid, but this is the thinking yeah. of a child. So Jalal as a child was thinking that. And so that was July 4th. When it came to Eid, Ramadan, it came to Muslims, everything, hush, hush, secret, secret, at home, at home, etc. That raised me as a second-class citizen. Mm. So when I was in school and this white boy spat on the floor and the teacher walked by and saw me, she gave me tissues and made me clean it up. And, wow. that's because, and I cleaned it up because I was a second-class citizen. Mm. And in schools you have in the UK... Muhammad prays Eid on Tuesday and Ali prays Eid on Wednesday. So which is it? And they're mocked and they're made fun of at school. So they are raised as second-class citizens. SubhanAllah. So one of the things I knew about Eid is my kids and yours guys and everyone else's, but my kids mainly first and foremost to me, that they never feel like they're second-class citizens. So I put fireworks up in the sky. I closed off roads. I made sure Eid was just as big as, if not bigger than Christmas for them at least. At least in their world, Eid is bigger. At least in their world, all they see is Eid twice a year, and it's heavy and it's massive. So they don't feel like second-class citizens. I gave them the very psychological requirement of confidence that I did not have when I was a kid. So that when they grow up, they will grow up confident and not afraid. And now, actually, I'm the one afraid because my kids walk the streets and drive around and go places as if they are first-class citizens, a bit too bold, a bit too brave. <laughs> and and that's, that's the consequence of it. It's great. It's fantastic. And I, for me, yes, the answer to your question, did they have a part to play in it? Absolutely. It was all for them. SubhanAllah. That is so, so inspirational, Jalal. Seriously, because... Not only because I grew up going to these Eid events and attending these Eid events with my family in these various parks around London. Um, and, uh, and now taking my children, I did take my children to some of these, uh, these Eid events, uh, uh, you know, this past Eid as well. So it's not only inspiration on that level that, that I've seen the impact that it's having on my family and now my children. It had an impact on me when I was young and now I can pass that over. But also the fact that you as a dad, you saw an issue and you thought, how am I going to solve that issue for my children? And how is that also going to help other families? And if it helps other families, therefore it helps the ummah. And what am I as a father going to do to, to, to do that, to actually solve that and to make that a reality? And you went ahead and you thought about it and you did it. And of course, not on your own, with the help of Allah and other people as well around you. But you had that vision. Now, the fact was that you had the vision and what was driving you was the love of Allah and the love of your children and the family. And that is super inspirational. I hope people can take something away from that. Fathers especially can take something away from that. If you see an ill in society and you don't want that ill for your children, then do something about it. Go ahead, have a vision and work on it together with other fathers, other mothers, other people in, in, in the community, in society, in the ummah. And, and go ahead and, and do something. So that really, that's what I've taken away. Inshallah. Along with that, I just want to say one more thing. Yeah. In regards to these projects, in all of these projects of dawah and, and with your children, involve your family. That, you know, that was going to be my next question, actually. Because mm -hmm. you, know, you mentioned that your, your children are now taking over some of, the, some of the things and helping out in some of the things. So uh, 
you know are you are you doing that purposefully to kind of teach them maybe skills of uh, project management skills of entrepreneurship skills of working together with people skills of you know these types of things and and you know is, is that is that one angle is the skills and, and the other angle is is it just getting them involved as as parent and child um those are the results mm. that's the result of what that's the result that's the outcome what you just said the outcome is they will get all those skills the outcome is they will see all of that and they will benefit but the intention is not that the intention is because they're your child and you're their father you need to be there for them and you can be there together going to cinema you can be together going to school you can be together doing their homework together you can be together having dinner you can be together talking about problems you can be together going to the mall go shopping all of the all of the ridiculously mundane things everyone does or you can be a parent, a mother, or a father with your children that are doing dawah together. So you're still a mom, dad. You don't miss out on anything. And your kids are involved with you, so you're a parent at the same time. And instead of the mall or cinema or shopping, they're doing dawah. Mm. And now you're a mother, father in dawah. I, I, I used to lecture everywhere. For those of you who do know me, I used to go to all kinds of colleges and universities, wherever my eldest was just a baby and and then my second was born my third and i remember always having a baby in my arms even when i lectured yeah i, I would take my kids with me and many universities found it very odd my baby would be in a pram next to me or in my arms sleeping on the table while i'm on the microphone speaking i don't see why not awesome. i wasn't there to, i wasn't there to impress people and look good in a suit yeah i yeah. did what i wanted to do i came to deliver the knowledge and my child was not going to miss it my, so it's 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 i don't see enough people in dawa doing that you don't even see their children in dawa most of the people that when i was on islam channel my kids used to come on their live with me i would take them on there with me i'd be like come mm -hmm. say a few words these are the kids that sacrifice so we could deliver for you these things mm -hmm. so you need to do your bed etc it's it's all inspirational and and when you volunteer for something a charity event or an organization how many youngsters will feel um how many youngsters will have moms and dads say to them, oh, these mullahs, imams are just using you, don't go, etc. You have this problem. You have this problem at home, this corruption amongst Muslims. So don't wait for that. Instead, bring your family. Invite your parents. Make sure everyone is volunteering. In one Eid, for example, in Al-Fitra, as you notice, many of our websites say family. We yeah. are a family. Because... All of our volunteers, all their families are involved. Mm. I don't just take a volunteer. So whoever new comes, we're like, where's your mom? Where's your dad? Oh, let's invite <laughs> them next week. Where's your son? Where's your child? Where's your wife? Where's your husband? Invite them next month. So it, we all know that volunteer will not last. They will not be there very long if their family don't engage. Because otherwise, they will have family problems. That's my, my advice is that have your children with you so you have quality time with them, especially if you're a single parent, especially if you're a parent, involve your kids in this with you. So your free time when your kids, daddy, what are we doing this weekend? We're going to go and uh, pitch up a dawah table. No, we're going to go help this mosque. We're going to go work in this charity event. We're going to yeah. go to that event and volunteer. That should be your every single weekend. If you're a Muslim, if you're a Muslim, 
by the name definition of a mu'min. But if you're just a Umar or a Khadija or an Abdullah and you just happen to be working in the city and the weekend is for dinners and hotels and Instagram, let me take pictures of the food and let me just show this cake I made this weekend, you're a loser. Sorry. That's a loser by my book. A loser is someone who follows the status pro quo. That's always been a loser even before Islam for me. That's what I was taught in America by Americans. <laughs> the loser Mashallah. does the mundane. The loser is the one that constantly feels sorry for himself. The loser's the loser is the one that always repeats what other people does. The loser is the one that can't think for himself. There's mm. so many things that were drilled into me before I even started studying Islam. Obviously, it was from Subhanahu wa Taala. So I think for all of my dads out there, all of the brothers out there, you are the front door. Whether you feel like it or not, whether your family respects you or not, whether your family, look, let me put it to you like this, the front door of the house, what happens to it? It gets knocked all the time. Mm. Okay? The front door gets knocked. The doorbell gets rung. Sometimes the front door, bam, 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 gets banged. Sometimes the front door gets slammed. Sometimes the front door gets kicked. Sometimes the front door is neglected and it's swung wide open. Mm. The front door goes through so much. That's you. So to all the dads out there, that's you. Now, I do notice a psychology of mental health and all this. this, this uh, there's a lot of good stuff out there, but a lot of rhetoric. So I noticed that the Kufar genuinely like to feel very sorry for themselves. So when it comes to mental health issues, dads out there especially... There's some real cases, but some of it, look, you see these videos, dad does this, dad does that, and no one says thanks, and no one does this, and no one does that, and no one notices. That is how it's supposed to be. Yep. You're not supposed to feel sorry for yourself. That's from Shaitan. All those sweet little videos about dads out there, don't let those get to you. Mm. Don't let them get to you because you're not supposed to be thanked. You're not supposed to be noticed. It's the wife and the kids and the people's test for them. Mm. If they want to be better Muslims, they will show gratitude. Yeah, That's yeah. up to them, but it's not for you to force it. Yeah, of course. So don't feel sorry for yourself. Because in other ways, your wife wishes she was you. Your kids mm. wish that they could do what you do, get in your car and drive wherever you want. So you have all the luxuries of being the front door. There's a lot of luxuries of being the front door. So all those hardships are part of the parcel. So be patient. That's what I say to all the dads out there. Don't expect anything except from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Jazakallah khair Jalal. We have a question on Instagram that I want to end this podcast with. Um, uh, it's quite interesting. The person says, what about using the hard way of raising children? Do you think that that could make them strong? And when they face problems in life, it makes them strong in terms of reaching their goals. So I think what they mean is like maybe taking the more hardline approach, maybe not just being so gentle or um, uh, just kind of being a bit more, maybe, I don't know, that traditional kind of dad sort of uh, figure. Do you think basically, are, is there any benefit in using that? Could that teach our children to, you know, stay strong, even if when they face opposition, when they face failure? It depends on who you are, but I, I think you misunderstand me that, that's the only way to do this. 
and it starts with yourself. You have to be hard on yourself because you're going to want to hug your kids. You're going to want to not go out and do dawah. You're going to want to not serve the masjid or the charity or the cause because your kids want to go Alton Towers this weekend. And you're going to have to sacrifice that. Or I've got a job and I know I want to buy that extra new PlayStation or car or whatever. I don't know what you want to buy, but so you can't take time off work to run an Eid festival or a, or, a, or a conference or a lecture so you can't get out of your job or your meeting. You don't sacrifice enough. So it starts with you being hard on yourself. So you've got to be willing to say, no, sorry, no luxury here, no comfort here. And then with the kids, absolutely. The only thing I say about the kids is you've got a little challenge here. Today, you've got social media and you've got shaitan raising your children for you. And because that's the case, you've got to be careful with that hardline approach because you could lose them and they could go the other way simply because they have that option. Whereas in the past, they didn't have that option. Mm. Unless, you, unless you go all, all dictatorship and not have any social media at home and not allow them any access, which I think is, that might be, I think that might be viewed as someone quite antisocial and crazy. You got to be careful. I would say that even everything I mentioned earlier definitely was the hard approach with the kids. It wasn't easy. I made it sound like roses and flowers, but it's not. Because yeah. they, will, they will feel the pressure. They don't have a choice. Get up, 7 a.m. Let's go. We got to go. Saturday, oh, I've, I've had school all week. Tough. We got to go. Hurry up. Eats tomorrow morning, but it eats on Thursday. We've got six days left to go. Let's go. We got to put up banners. We got to drop off leaflets. Let's go. We got to go help these people. We got to deliver food. We have to drop off the dates. We've got to do this. Kids don't get a break. They don't get to go to school and go do this and go to college and come home and relax and watch TV and call their friends and gossip with their friends and, and then chit chat and play games and go cinema, etc. My kids don't get to do that. Yeah. So I don't know which part you thought was easy. <laughs> this this is when i say dawa i'm talking a lot of work i think people don't know what dawa means mm. they think dawa means just stand there and talk let me put it to you like this yeah the ones who talk are barely doing dawa is the ones that are doing all the hard work behind the scenes the actions that's the dawa that mm. was by example anyone can talk again anyone can sit up and yak that's why you don't find me on speaker's corner I've been invited to loads of debates. I don't need to debate. Why would I debate? I don't understand Muslims that debate. I hardly respect it because debate means egotistical argument. Let me show you. I'm smarter. I'm better. I'm clever. I got it better than you. Wait, where's the dawah? Yeah. So you're just showing off. I don't get it. I don't need to debate people. But if it's someone's out of line and someone's calling evil, then I don't debate them. I talk them down. Mm. Then I'll put them in their place. And if it's uh, the best way to put someone in their place is to not give them the platform, leave. And if you are in a position where you can't, then you have to have the knowledge and the ability to do so. I have a lot of respect for people who are in those positions, like the guy who was burning uh, the Quran and Muslims felt they needed to attack him. You didn't. Yeah. The, best thing that, the best thing that man could do is burn the Quran. That was the best thing he could do. Because we don't want his filthy hands touching it. And Allah removed it from his hands by burning it, which is the sunnah. That's how yeah, you're supposed yeah. to remove the Quran. So uh, it's, it's incredible. It's, Allah says they, they, they want to mock Allah and his deen, but Allah mocks them. They're the ones that look stupid. 
So there is a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of sacrifice. It's not easy. So yes, definitely is the hard way approach because your kids are going to want to sit on social media. They're going to want to play. You are too. You have your own fatana. You have to get off your binge watching of Netflix programs. <laughs> People who are binge watching Netflix and stuff, I always just, I, I don't even have the heart to tell them what I think. It will break their heart, what I think. So instead I say, why don't you watch Arturo? Yeah. You know, at the yeah. very least, watch Arturo and don't yeah. watch anything else. And so most Muslims don't even watch Arturo. They don't even know what that is, the resurrection on Netflix. But they watch what? Breaking Bad or... or yeah. Or I, I hear, I hear. Let's talk about this for a second, Shahib. Kids, you want to teach kids. You want to raise kids. You want to get a relationship with kids. Okay. All right. So I've got people posting on Facebook, on Instagram, and they say how they watched... Breaking Bad, for example. It was yeah. much worse. I can't remember what they were. Some horrible examples. And and my daughter thought, and my son thought, I'm like, what? Oh, my God. You watched that with your kids? SubhanAllah. You, you, did, you did what? Oh, my God. Give them five years. And they'll be calling Imam Said for help. Mm. And they'll wonder why. So you've got to see that you destroy morality in your own home. You destroy, you rip the moral fiber, the moral fibers apart by doing things like that with your kids, mm. by letting them watch, you know, these, 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 you know, the, the sexual scenes and yeah. all of that. We go, oh, let's just look away. Is that right? really, <laughs> really? You don't think the kids have receptors for that? So you've got to raise them correctly. I personally find it child abuse, to be honest. I think it's child abuse to put a child through all of that and then expect them to know better when they grow older. So I you've got to you. think about, I agree with you. I agree with you. 100%. I, even like, you know, um, now as, you know, go, being an adult now and having my own children, I remember seeing those kind of scenes, watching movies when I was younger, the stuff that I shouldn't be, have been watching. And it does, you know, it's clear that it leaves an impact um, and you definitely shouldn't allow your kids to be exposed to these types of things. But are we, like, are I think that- Are we the, frozen on Instagram? The, the Instagram uh, uh, shut down because my phone shut itself off. Um, so that's Are you okay. still on or not? Uh, I, I don't think it's, it's connected anymore. I see you. Yeah, it is. No, that's a previous recording. That's weird. I don't understand. Anyways, okay. So what else? Maybe maybe was, maybe it closed and saved itself. I don't know. Um, but I'll just hey. add to that one thing. I just want to add to that. And yeah. That let's is that when, when a person here. when a person said when you say in Islam let's sacrifice when you say in Islam let's sacrifice you don't you want the kids to walk up and block the TV when someone's kissing or a bad scene and you're like, oh, let's just close our eyes. Why? Because it's too much effort to turn it off or forward or not watch it. And it spoils the fun of the whole family because everyone's watching it together. That is the sacrifice to not mm. watch it in the first place. Yeah. And most Muslims don't realize that when Allah talks about sacrifice, that's what he's talking about. You sacrifice the temptation of things for what you should be doing, which is yeah. reading Quran together. I'm going to push the Quran legacy project even more this year because I believe Muslims need to read Quran together in English, in a language you understand. Mm -hmm. You need to sit with your kids. Go to the website, Quran Legacy. Just one example of many. There's many books out there, but the clear Quran is my favorite translation right now. It's the easiest one to read. Yeah. And you, I've you heard good things about one, that one. 
once a week, sit with your kids, twice a week, sit with your kids, or every night, 10 minutes, really every night, 10, 15 minutes of reading the English Quran together with the family and discussing it. Yeah. This is far more entertaining than the nonsense on Netflix. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide the Ameen, Ameen, Ya Rab. Jazakallah khair, This was an amazing episode. I think it's probably the longest episode we've had, actually. But I think there was... I think there were so many gems, like all the different parts. We had the stories, we had the advice, we had the da'wah, we had everything in this. Alhamdulillah. Um, hopefully, inshallah, at some point in the future, we're going to do another one of these and expand and expand and expand. Um, so I really appreciate your time, Jalal. And uh, may Allah bless you. And inshallah, bye bye. see you in the next bye. one. Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.